This is Ryan Chamberlain, and this is Ripples from the Land, the podcast where we look at events in Cleveland, Ohio, and how they rippled across the United States and the world with my co-host, John Grabowski. Hi, I'm John Grabowski, and we'll probably look at a ripple today that goes well beyond the earth. Well beyond. I didn't even think about that. So to that point, I was at the Natural History Museum of Cleveland and the other night, and it was evening, and so they had their telescope open, which, to be honest, I've lived in Cleveland a long time, and I never visited their uh, Mueller Observatory. Looking at the telescope, the telescope was built in 1899, and I was just in awe, and it clear night so the person the operator of the telescope was guiding us and to look at the moon and when i looked at the moon through the telescope i was just unbelievably amazed at the clarity of the moon from the telescope from cleveland from the mueller observatory and it just blew my mind and then the more i was talking to the operator he mentioned that it was built in cleveland and the person who built the telescope was the warner and swayze company and that just made me instantly i the first place i looked because i'm a little biased the encyclopedia of cleveland history looked up warner and swayze company and was just floored at the impact that they've had over time throughout the United States and the world. Yeah, it's interesting because Warner and Swayze basically built telescopes almost as, as a hobby. Uh, their, their company was really into making machine tool uh, machines, if you will, and uh, turret lasers were their major project. Well, tur- turret lasers were their major project, and it's uh, but their telescopes were in the late 19th century. You know, the one that you saw at uh, Natural History Museum is one of the small ones. I think that was the one that was in their joint backyard on Euclid Avenue at one point, and. Uh, but they, they built ones for the Yerkes Observatory, the Lick Observatory, the Naval Observatory. When these were built, these were the largest refracting telescopes in the world at that point. Oh, that's amazing. And it just blew me away that looking through this telescope, you could see the moon the same way people were seeing it over a century ago. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, it, the story of the company is really fascinating because they're both guys from New England. Uh, they started a, a machine company, machine tool company in Chicago in 1880, and then decided to come to Cleveland in 1881. And uh, and for years and years, were one of the major industries in Cleveland. And the thing to understand about machine tools, machine tools are the things that make everything we use. Everything from sewing machines to automobile uh, mechanisms, all of that. And the way you do it is with the turret lathe, which is a mm-hmm. multifunction machine tool. And good Lord, they built tens of thousands of those. Yeah. Let's roll it back a little. So the people who started, Warner and Swayze, it was Worcester, Swayze, and yeah. Ambrose Warner. Worcester, ah. Warner, and Ambrose Swayze. Oh, so yep, that's what we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. And they started out in Chicago, like you said. And so they came to Cleveland. How did they get into telescopes via the lake? I I think they were both interested. I think it was Warner who was the one who was most interested in telescopes. And and as their company grew, you know, the prime optical instruments they made they also made binoculars and for the uh, for the US military at a point but those were the things that got them all the PR they needed and that helped build the recognition of the company but the money makers were still the machine tools mm-hmm. if i'm correct they have the observatory 
out in East Cleveland that was there for a long time. Right, right. It was run by it's run by the Case School of Applied Science, Case Institute of Technology, uh, that is now vacant. And uh, that telescope you saw was one of the telescopes there. There were several others that came afterwards, but it's abandoned now. And, and so there's one of the telescopes they built is the one that you saw at, you know, one of the early ones is the one that you saw at the Natural History Museum. But there's one on the Case campus. Mm -hmm. You know, they were trustees of... Case School of Applied Science, Case Institute of Technology. And so it's on the Case side of the Case Western Reserve University campus on top of one of our buildings on the Case Quadrangle. And it's a, it's a bigger telescope, I think. Actually, no, that's the one that was in their backyard on the top of that, if I'm not mistaken. Huh. And now the observatory, it's, you know, you see it on YouTube videos occasionally now because it's so run down. It's almost a kind of artifact of a time that's passed in Cleveland, in a way. Yeah, I had a chance to do an interview at the observatory a couple of years ago, and I went in there. It was the first time I'd been in it. Of course, it's totally vacant. Uh, what, what happened, why, they, why the school abandoned the observatory, was that, that Cleveland's atmosphere got so polluted that you really couldn't do good observations there. And in the last years, they had very, very incredible scientific equipment. So some of that was moved out to Geauga County. Now it's in Arizona at this point. But it was a place where people would crowd into the same way that you went to the Natural History Museum. People would go mm -hmm. into the observatory on a clear night in the 1940s, early 1950s. They did studies of the Milky Way galaxy. It just, yeah. Didn't they make a, they made some sort of discovery with the Milky Way. Their scientists used their telescopes to make a discovery associated, a theoretical discovery associated with the Milky Way. Right. right. It was one of the early refractors. I think it was a Schmidt-Cassegrain telescope that they used. It was a 40-inch one. I think that's the one that went out to basically Arizona now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it used to be, at one point, they had almost the national they had some of the most important telescopes in the country. Yeah, they, they, they did, and they continued to build them. But when, when you look at the company, uh, they made the machines that made the United States, and particularly during the First and Second World War. During the Second World War, they had 7,000 employees in that building. Mm -hmm. And I think they produced more than half of the turret lathes that were used in the United States in that building. And, and those, if you're looking at World War II, you know, machining was everything, everything from shell casings to, you know, tank parts, all, yeah, things for ships. The mach machine tools were the key to our aviation industry. Mm -hmm. And tons of them were coming out of Warner and Swayze. So when did Warner and Swayze decline? Because it's still not Warner and Swayze anymore. But they were still Warner and Swayze until... I believe the nineteen around the nineteen eighties. Nineteen eighties, right? Yeah, in the nineteen sixties, they they began to uh, do branch factories in Solon, Ohio, and then they were bought out by several companies. They were folded into several companies. And people can read the article in the encyclopedia to get all that data. Uh, but by the nineteen eighties, the the company decided to close that main factory at fifty fifth and Carnegie. That was the original site that they were at, so that was closed. And, and, and it is, has almost gone the same way the observatory has gone. It's, it's a vacant building. It's, it's graffiti art all over the inside. It's been a popular spot. It's well known as a popular spot for urban exploring. People will go in there and kind of look, shoot their YouTube videos or any way, or their blogs or whatever, they, whatever they're doing these days. But 
report from in there and show it as almost a building because it's such in disrepair, but it's hauntingly. The building is just a massive structure and was built so solidly like a lot of Cleveland buildings were yeah, during well, that time. Well, it had to bear all the weight of those machines that they, they were building and the machines that made the machines, which is fascinating. The interesting thing is there are several buildings on the site. There's that old building. Uh, there's a newer one now where uh, Cleveland EMS and fire trucks are repaired. And there's one on the other side of Carnegie as well. You know, the key to their being there is it's right on the main railroad track. They picked that site mm -hmm. because rail transportation was everything to get the raw materials in and get the finished products out. And you see a lot of the older buildings in Cleveland situated near the railroad tracks. I know the one that comes to mind is the Tyler Village area where the old elevator factory used to be. And that that's right near the railroad tracks where people yeah. can load and unload. And so the railroad, in that sense, was so integral to a lot of those businesses, World War II and those businesses around. Yeah, and I think if you really want to understand railroads and business, you have to look at our interstate system now because everything is based along interstate and shipping on interstates. You know, railroads still do a lot, but they were the chief transportation arteries. You know, once you build a factory like that out there at 55th and Carnegie, the workers are going to live close by. So you've got workers' communities all through there at one point. But, uh, yeah, it's, their, their telescopes are just, they're iconic. And, you know, one of my dear colleagues, Ed Pershy, Dr. Ed Pershy, did his doctoral dissertation here at Case Western Reserve University on the history of Warner Swayze telescopes. And he was the man. He was absolutely the man. I met Doctor Pershy yeah. once. Yeah, yeah. He was a man, he was a man of much knowledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's an incredible person. So yeah, that's and you know and so the Warner Swayze Company records are now at the Western Reserve Historical Society. Huh. Yeah. So the building has come into the news lately. Is of current news. Yeah. Yep, it, it looks like it is going to be repurposed for housing. Uh, and that's going to be a major cleanup. And uh, one of my good friends, I do some books with him, Lauren Puccini, is doing interior phot photography of the building. And the story about Lauren, uh, he's a vet, but Lauren's first job, one of his first jobs was at working at Warner and Swayze. He has an affinity for old industrial Cleveland and does some incredible black and white photography. So has he been in? Were you? Oh, in he's been in. Yeah, he's. What been, did he? What did he say? He's, you know, he 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 loves it. He knows where it was. He he knew he he knew the bosses at that time. Uh, obviously, this is when Warner and Swayze were dead. But mm -hmm. uh, the building means a lot for him, and as as it does, I think, for many Clevelanders whose families or relatives or ancestors used to work at Warner and Swayze or any of the other major companies along that railroad track. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a memory site, and thank goodness the building is going to survive it and other dies. So what is the big takeaway from Warner and Swayze? If we're going to look, if we're going to, and it's a great article in the Encyclopedia of Cleveland History, and I urge everyone to go go read it, go look it up. It's a great article. It'll, it'll be a great conduit to other research that has been done on it. We have links to archival research if anybody wants to go deeper in it. And um, But what is the bigger takeaway? I, I think the bigger takeaway is that we can do it two ways. What, one is two guys who could have started in Chicago who came to Cleveland. And when they came to Cleveland, they, they created a company that mach made machines that went all around the country and even were exported. Those were machines that influenced victories in both World War One and World War II. I would dare say also in the Korean conflict. 
But the other thing is, if you look at their telescopes, you have to imagine that in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the Yerkes telescopes, that's where they were looking for the canals on Mars. And if anybody knows the history of looking at Mars, you know, people thought they saw canals. And so this was, this was a big, big refracting telescope, the most powerful one at this time. The one at Lick, I think, was even bigger than that. I'm not sure which was bigger, but yeah, these, these were monstrous, monstrous scientific instruments Brass made, made in Cleveland, and this is where, you know, who knows how far they looked and how far Cleveland's vision went with those telescopes. That is great to think about. So, all right. Well, thanks for everybody for listening. Yep. Ripples from the Land is made possible by the dedication and diligent efforts of myself, Ryan Chamberlain, and my co-host, John Grabowski, and the countless brilliant minds that contribute to the Encyclopedia of Cleveland History. We'd also like to extend our heartfelt gratitude to our producer, Dante LaFloria, whose talent and creativity have brought this show to life. To continue exploring the rich history of Cleveland and beyond, be sure to visit the website of the Encyclopedia of Cleveland History at ech.case.edu. There you'll find a wealth of information, resources, and further readings to deepen your understanding of Cleveland's past and its significance. We also encourage you to engage with us on social media. Share your thoughts, stories, and perspectives using hashtag RipplesFromTheLand. We value your feedback and look forward to connecting with you. Thank you once again for joining us on this enlightening journey. Remember, history is not just a series of dates and events. It's a tapestry of social relations, past and present, that shape the spaces we live in. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and may the ripples of history guide us toward a better future.